welcome to the MWC podcast. Thank you for listening. Hey, so if you are here, go ahead and pull out your bandana and tie it around your head because you are a rebel. You stuck it to the man, the weatherman, that is. You were just like, listen, you're not going to scare me, weatherman. I'm coming to church. I, 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 you know, if I was a conspiracy theorist, I'd be like, the weather people and like the grocery stores, they got this like thing going where like they both work together and like, hey, ratings are down and we're not selling enough groceries. Hey, let's just make an apocalypse happen, right? Um, so like, I think somebody from like Walmart rides around on in a, in a, in a horse and he's dressed as like in a black robe like death and everyone's like, oh, it's, it's Armageddon. The four horsemen, they're here. Run, right? Listen, there is nothing out there. Nothing at all. And I just feel like, what's that old adage? It, it's um, fool me once, shame on me, or shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I'm never going to get fooled by Wichita weather again, okay? It's it. I'm done. I'm done. You say it's going to snow. I'm like, nope, it's going to rain. You say it's going to rain. I'm like, nope, it's going to be 80 degrees and sunny. I'm not listening to you people anymore. Oh, I got a chip on my shoulder. You want to know why? It's because we only get weather like this on the weekends. Why? <laughs> like, like, I still got to work, and you guys still come to church, right? But you're like, why can't we have this on Monday or Tuesday? So I don't have, so you guys don't have to go to work. So I'm going to start praying, God, if you give us bad weather, let it be Monday, Tuesday, so the awesome people in my church, like, they don't have to go to work. Uh, so anyway, I love you guys, and I'm so glad you're here. Give, give yourselves a hand. Give it up for Jesus. Uh, the roads are perfect, but seriously, I, I mean, I, I, know, I know we joke and kid, but the reality is I'm glad we didn't have bad weather. I mean, there's no car wrecks, nothing like that. I know we had a pileup, a uh, 20-car pileup. It made actually national news on, on Friday, a 20-car pileup. And I just wanted to write to the national news station and say, there's like 20-car pileups on Kellogg every single day. You know, the weather didn't do that. It's just, that's just Wichita. Like, come on, man. Uh, we're just always texting and driving. So, um, yeah, if you're here today, man, God bless you. I, I truly believe uh, God has something in store for you today. Um, if, seriously, if you are here, you're going to jump into, like, my favorite part of the Lord's Prayer. Um, so, let me, let me just, let's just jump right in. You know, when, when I was, when I was a, a new believer, uh, I, and many of you know my background, some of you know my history, but I, I've shared my testimony a few times. Uh, I grew up in South Chicago, a really rough neighborhood. Uh, you know, it, looking back in hindsight now, like now that I live in Wichita, I'm like, wow, that was a really messy neighborhood. But, but growing up, it didn't feel that, that messed up. Uh, but I just remember just a way of life that I had was you always, it, it's South Chicago, so just bear with me. The way you settled arguments was, was with your hands, right? Like you just, you just fought things out with people. And, and, I, and I grew up pretty, pretty violent. Um, my, my brothers and my cousins and I, the way we would settle things, we had one set of boxing gloves. I'm a lefty, so I'd put on the left and they'd put on the right and we'd just fight. Like literally, that, that's how we settled matters. Uh, and I'm not saying this to like, you know, talk about boxing or fighting or anything like that, but that's how we settled things. And, and that's just the, the way of life I understood is, is you just, you're physical about things. Then I got saved and uh, didn't fight at all or anything like that. The Lord really just moved on my heart. And uh, I grew up and I enjoyed watching boxing videos. I grew up with, in the era of like Oscar de la Hoya. I grew up in like uh, Cesar Chavez, like all those guys. So like I remember like some of you old school like boxer fans, like, like boxing fans, you're like, yeah, I remember those guys. I grew up in that era. So I loved it, right? 
I got saved and I kind of like left fighting and there's nothing wrong with like the sport of fighting, but, but uh, I, I left all of that behind, street fighting, all that stuff. And then uh, I remember there was a time when I was in Bible college, my, my roommate wanted to show me this funny video and he comes up and he's like, dude, check out this fight video. This guy gets knocked out and he, and he shows it to me and I'm watching it and it, in my mind, I'm thinking like, yeah, fine, I'll see. It's, it's pretty funny, right? What? And, I, and I watch it and the moment I see the guy hit the other guy and him knock out, something just happened. In my heart, like, I, you got to remember, I was, psychologically speaking, I was completely conditioned. Uh, I was desensitized. And whenever I had watched that stuff, it, it didn't affect me. Whenever I was involved in those things, it didn't affect me. But, but now being removed from that and no longer seeing people as, or an individual as just somebody taking up space, now that I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus at this moment when I'm watching this video, I now understand that this person bears the image of God. Like this person was made in the likeness and in the image of God and they have inherent value and worth. So I, I watched this guy hit another guy and knock him out and, and something just fell over me. Like, you know that, that passage where David is talking in the shadow of the, of the Most High will overcome you and overwhelm you? I literally felt that. Like something inside of me just started... Like, like they, this wasn't a sport. This guy just like literally knocked somebody out because he wanted to. And I just remember just like trembling and just like fear came over me and just sorrow and sadness. And, and, and I recognized that this one individual saw this other person as not valuable and no worth. And, and that's what he was doing. The Holy Spirit did something to me in that time. And, and, I, and I know he does that to many of us in this place where, where he, he, he moves in our heart and we respond to sin, because that's a matter of sin. If you can strike another person and not be in sport, that's a different thing. But, but, but out of malintent and maliciousness, if you can just punch somebody or try to hurt them, or that's, that says something about your lack of, of understanding of who that person is and, 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 the, and the image they were created in. There's, there's a response that we all have when we see the conditions of our sin-fallen world. Right? I mean, I, I just have to start saying words like ISIS. I got, I got to start saying things like Syria, Aleppo. I, I, got, to, I got to bring up the, the political polarization that is happening in our country where you have two people who are vehemently opposed to one another. And, and we start, what we're seeing is, is the radical the radical chasm or the radical departure of goodness and, and the result of sin. Right, it, it breaks us. Right, I mean, I mean, when you watch the news, you, I know sometimes it's they they fantasize or or romanticize it, but they they make things look bigger than what they really are. But when you watch these things, I mean, how many of you? It just it just hurts your heart. You, your response is just brokenness, and you're just like, man, if only these people had hope, because we know they're hurting because they have no hope. It, it just it hurts, right? You see, you see right now in our country uh, that talks about racism and, and, and you see individuals who, who, who are against the, the, uh, the political agenda of, of Black Lives Matter and people who are, who are politically opposed to Blue Lives Matter. And you see all of this division. And, and I feel like many of us in the church are, are there scratching our heads because we, we believe that all life is matter. We believe that if, if there's a black life that is being oppressed, that life matters. If there's anybody who's being oppressed, that individual, that life matters to God and it should matter to us. But, but we, we're just left scratching our heads and, and looking into this, this maze and just like, how do we respond, God? This hurts. Friends, my friends are hurting. 
My, my, my friends of political ide- ideologies are hurting. My, my friends of, of, of different colors are hurting. And, and, and people who are living in different parts of the nation are, are afraid, literally afraid of Donald Trump. They're afraid of what's happening. And, and, and I know this doesn't, this doesn't uh, speak to everybody, but this is the reality that we're facing today. And our response should be a, a sense of, of brokenness. Really quickly, I want to talk about the most common responses I see to the breakdown or, or, to the, or, or responses to sin that we see in our society. The first one is this, apathy. Unfortunately, a, a common response to the sin that we see in our society is apathy. Some people, and, and, and I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, that happens to me, be me at some times. Sometimes we just get apathetic about things. We're, we've become so desensitized to the, to the crazy media that were just like, oh yeah, this again, right? Another murder, another killing. Do you remember that time when, whenever you'd read about a, a killing on, on, on the news, you, you would be like, oh my goodness, but now it's just become something that we expect. Many of us have become apathetic. We no longer feel this ache to pray or, or to contend for somebody. The second one is this, and I have a slide for it. The second one is this, avoidance. The first one is apathy. We have a sense of apathy. The second one is, is avoidance. We, we say, this bothers me, but, but I, choose not, I, I choose not to pay attention to it. I, I choose to focus on other things. Sometimes this idea of avoidance blurs the lines with optimism. I choose to look at, at society as, as, a, as a half glass fool, right? And, and, and I choose to look on the lighter side. But when you do that, you're avoiding a real issue. There are problems in this world. We're, we're not called to just avoid things. We're not called to just turn off the news and, and, and turn on the Hallmark channel. Like we, the church, some of you are like, I love Hallmark. It's fine. You can love Hallmark. That's okay, right? But, but I'm saying if you're just avoiding, if you're, if, you're, if you're going to the good things so that you avoid the bad things, that's not a Christian response to the problems in our world. We're not called to to avoid issues. We're not called to be apathetic towards issues. The third one, and this is the most prominent that I see in the church today, this idea of escapism. So so we we say, yes, issues bother us. We say, yes, we should be active, but but I'm just waiting for the rapture. We say, beam me up, Jesus, like like he's going to come down and it's like, beam. Like, you're, you're, there you go. And then you just sing your song. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away, right? Escapism. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having your hope in the Lord's return, but, but if you're just holding on to that, like, just, Jesus, take me out of this. I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, you, you, need, you need a shift in the way that you're thinking. I was studying this recently uh, about rapture theology in the New Testament compared to an idea of rapture, these kind of allusions to a rapture mentality in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, do you remember that story of, of Lot and his wife escaping uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? And if they look back, then, then they, you know, pillar of salt, that whole story. Well, well I, I was studying that, and, and, and one theologian, one commentator said that this is very similar like that, that understanding is an Old Testament paradigm. This, this mentality that, that you're running away from sin and you're not supposed to look back. You, you, you don't want to look back. You know, that, that is only applicable in the Old Testament. If, if we were going to talk about in the New Testament, yes, we are called to flee from sin, but God wants us to bring people with us. We're, we're meant to go back into the flames of sin and pull people out and bring them out and put them on safety and go back in through the power of the Holy Spirit because that is the difference in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit just dwelled among people if they were lucky or if they were sincerely holy, but now we have the Holy Spirit living within us. 
So we we need this paradigm shift. So it's not, we're not called to be apathetic. We're not called to be uh, people who avoid issues. We're not called to be escape artists, just hoping that we just avoid all this stuff and the Lord just raptures us up. Our response should be this, a spirit-led response to the brokenness, to the sin-riddenness of society. It should be this anger, because you should get angry about sin, Right? It's, it's okay to be upset and angry about the sin in, in our world. Anger which follows action and action that is followed by anticipation. Anger, action, anticipation. This should be our response. We should get angry that there is sin, but we shouldn't just get angry and, and, and you know, sit back at the TV and throw things. We should be compelled to action. And then from this, this actively working and getting our hands dirty and getting on our knees, contending in prayer for people, getting messy, from, from, from that place we should be in looking towards anticipation. Jesus, I can't wait till you bring your kingdom and restore all things to the way they were meant to be. Jesus, I can't wait until you, you sit upon your throne and you rule from on high. Jesus, I can't wait till, till you completely, completely usher in your kingdom. But oftentimes we get stuck in anger, right? Which is, is usually, too much of that leads us to apathy or avoidance or to action. And sometimes people who are just completely active, they get into this, this social understanding of gospel. I'm just gonna be a social worker for the Lord and, I, and I'm not gonna pray or contend for somebody. But we need to be people that have anger, that's fine. Action, yes, and anticipation, so if you've ever been like me, and I know you have, and you've watched the news, and you've seen the division, and, and, you, and, and you probably even see it in your family, and, and if you see these things, I'm going to tell you the response that Jesus has for us, the way that he would have us pray. So we're in this series called The Perfect Prayer. And we have Jesus literally teaching what is called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And at this point, Jesus has already been baptized. Uh, he, he followed the Lord in all righteousness by being baptized, and, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. He went off into the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days. He was tempted, but he didn't, he didn't fail. He prevailed against the enemy. It's just awesome. And he's coming back, and now he's just filled with the Spirit. He's been baptized. The Lord spoke over, God spoke over him. The dove descended upon him and said, this is my son whom I'm loved with him. I'm well pleased. Like, so now he's just like, he's powered up. He's ready to go. Jesus is ready to go. And he begins to preach. And thousands, thousands are flocking at the Galilean hillside. And he's just standing there proclaiming the Beatitudes, all these crazy things, telling people what they need to hear. And then he begins to teach on prayer. He says two things. I'm summarizing. He says two things. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who stand up and they just want people to look at how holy they are. Secondly, don't be like the pagans who just babble on and on and on in their prayers, thinking that if they just say the same mantra over and over and over that God will listen to you. No, God knows what you need before you even ask him. He's not saying don't contend in prayer. He's not saying don't be persistent in prayer because he actually talks about that. He's saying just don't think that God needs you to say the same thing over and over and over. And if you said it like 100 times, then he'll care more if you said it 10 times. God cares about your brokenness the first time you bring it to him. Do you hear what I'm saying? God cares about our brokenness the first time we bring it to him, but we continue to be persistent in prayer, knowing that he continues to listen and care about our needs. And then finally, he gets to this portion of scripture that we're studying. 
And, and I want to do something, something that we don't do. Uh, I don't know why we don't do this, but this is something I'd love for us to do. Really quickly, can we, all, can we all stand as I read this portion of scripture that we're about to read this morning? Just as a sign of honor, recognizing that, listen, this is the prayer Jesus gave his disciples to pray. This is the model he gave us. So, so let, let's, just, let's just read this together. Can we get that passage up there? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. It says, it says this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. This is also cross-reference in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, where, where Jesus is, is being asked by one of his disciples, Jesus, we see it in verse one, it says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Hey, let's, let's just pray really quick as we jump into dissecting this prayer. Father, God, we just ask right now that as we look at the prayer that you, you modeled for us, I pray that it would speak to our hearts for all of us in here that needed either a refresher to, 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 to shake us up, to, to get to a position of desperation where we spend more time in prayer, or, or those of us who have never built a foundation of prayer. God, I pray that this week you would encourage us like never before to be people of prayer. So Father, I pray that you anoint my words. I pray that you anoint our time together, that everything that we put our mind to in our hearts you would be touched by you, Jesus. Father, we love you, we praise you, be with us this morning, in your name we pray, amen. So like I said last week, Jesus is giving his disciples a model for prayer. He's not demanding his disciples memorize this prayer, okay? So I, I never want us to be individuals who, who just flippantly memorize something, thinking that God will love us more if we memorize it. If you wanna memorize this passage, please do so. Let it, it'll be helpful for your faith, but don't feel that this is the way that you, the, the words that you have to say in order for God to hear you. We do not believe that. You can have a prayer life with God. In fact, nowhere else in scripture do we see uh, the apostles in the book of Acts pray this prayer uh, word for word. Again, we see them follow this model, and we'll talk about that in Acts chapter two, or Acts chapter four. We see them follow this model, but they don't ever recite this word for word again. So he gives us a model. Last week, we said this, Jesus teaches that a good foundation, that's what we said, that, that the first phrase, that, that, chat, that verse nine, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that is our foundation for prayer. What is being said in that model? He's saying this, our Father, what does that mean? God wants us to be in intimacy with him, right? He, he, he wants us to, to understand that he desires to be with us and he desires for us to be with him. He wants us to consider him as a father. He doesn't want you to just be an individual that goes to prayer out of like, you know, bending your arm, twisting your arm, getting you in there. He wants you to recognize and realize that he is an intimate father. But in addition to that, he also wants us to know that he is powerful. It says in heaven, it's supposed to remind us of the sovereignty of God. It's supposed to, to have us understand that, that he remains, um, he has dominion over heaven and earth. He is all powerful. And then lastly, the thing that builds a good foundation, the third slab we talked about, is recognizing how holy his name is. 
he opens up with his intention and focus entirely in worship. If you want your prayers to pack punch, man, look at that alliteration. If you want your prayers to pack punch, you need to be people who learn to worship God as the first thing you do. Even when things are messed up, when you go into a situation and you're just like, oh God, oh God how are you gonna work? No, God, I, I worship you. Lord, I, I know you're my father. I know you want me to come to you with my needs. You start quoting scripture, worship the Lord in your prayer. And today we're gonna look at the second part. We're building upon that foundation. Uh, in fact, one way to help you remember this model of prayer, I, I kind of built a, what is called the, the perfect prayer pyramid. Man, I'm not, man, this is alliteration today, right? It's probably because it's a snow day. I don't know, whatever. But here, I, I got a pyramid I wanna show you. It's called the perfect prayer pyramid. There's, uh, there's a slide before this. There's actually a, a, a foundation that you build. It's, all right, it's, it's our father, right? The second, the second tier to that is um, the, the second tier is, is your kingdom come, right? And we're gonna, those two are foundational to our prayer. It's not about us in prayer, right? It, when we open up, when we start off in prayer, it's completely centered on God. So Jesus opens up the prayer and he's focusing on our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The second thing he talks about is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Nowhere in the introduction to this model of prayer do we see Jesus saying, hey, bring up your needs. Do you notice that? When you read this, this prayer from verses nine, like he doesn't open up with the needs. He gets to the needs, but, but he doesn't open up with, the, with, with your personal needs. He opens up with focusing your heart and mind on who God is, on where God is, and what he stands for. He says, pray the will of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you've ever been a person who's been broken by the sin in our society, broken by the things that you see, the societal woes, today I'm gonna show you how you should pray. The first thing is this, God, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. Now, for any, you know, Anybody who grew up in America, who, who studied American history, we, we have a, a struggle with this understanding of kingdom, right? Like if, oftentimes, I remember when I first got saved and I heard people talk about the kingdom of God, I just kind of like took a step back and I'm like, that sounds a little weird, right? Like it, it's, just, it's, it's just not in our vernacular because we're red-blooded Americans. Right? So a lot of people are red-blooded Americans, right? Like tie their bandanas around their head. Like anybody starts talking about a monarchy, they're like, nope, we're gonna rebel, right? Like, like we have movies that we love star wars it's all about rebellion right like it's all about sticking it to the weatherman i mean the man it's it's it's, it's what it's all about it's about like taking down those who are opposed to them and the evil dictatorship and the evil powers the 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 intergalactic what is it the intergalactic uh what is it empire yeah the empire Take, taking down the empire and being rebels now i'm talking star wars again not world history uh but it is kind of like world history right nazi world war ii germany yeah you get it but but we are, like, uh, people who live in America, we're, we're just opposed to that. Like, we, we, that, that's what we understand and know. So when we hear kingdom, we, we scratch our heads because we've been conditioned from a very young age to recognize uh, monarchy as, as kind of evil, 
right? We believe in, I mean, our society, we're, we're a republic, democratic society, right? So, so we understand that the demos, uh, demo, uh, democracy literally means of the people. So, so we are, are the ones who, who stand and rule together and, and we're all created equal and we stand up and it, it sounds beautiful. Uh, America truly is a beautiful country. It's, it's not what you hear today, but, but it really is. No other nation in world history ever rose to power as fast as our nation. No other nation has, has and, and this is coming from somebody who's a second generation American, or well, technically, yeah, second generation American, like no other nation has, has paved the way for people to rise and make a name for themselves. It, it really is, and, and people talk right now that it, it's difficult, I get it, it is, but, but, but America is a great nation. No other nation has given its citizens the ability of such rapid social and economical mobility. Truly, America, America is a, an incredible concept. It's an incredible understanding. So that's why when we talk about the kingdom of God, a lot of us are left scratching our heads like, wait, so we're talking monarchy now? Yes, we are. We're talking, we're talking monarchy. Because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is not a republic. It's not a democratic nation. We don't have a say. We don't vote on, on the things that God does. He is not our elected official. It's not even a theocracy, a balance of the both. The kingdom of heaven is a monarchy. He's a king. His word is law. What he says goes. We have no say. We have influence because he gives it to us but he's a monarchy, he's a king. But guess what? Here's the kicker. He's a good king. He's a great king. In fact, everything he does, although it's for his namesake, it's still and always will be for our greater good. He is a just king, a royal king, a king that deserves all honor, all praise, a king that truly is deserving of our worship. Praise be to God. So when we say, Lord, your kingdom come, to us, it, it may have us scratch our heads a little bit and we might buck against it because we're just like, oh, it's, it's, it's so ingrained to us to be against that. But, but we, we have to fight that urge and realize that although we didn't understand that when Jesus was bringing this up, the Jews, the first century Jews, those living in antiquity, they understood exactly what Jesus was saying. You see, the, the Jews, or, or I should say good Jews, because there is, there is Jewish society, Jewish culture, Jewish nationalism, and then there was Jewish faith, right? The, the good Jews, those who were born in, in, in Jewish culture, Jew, Jewish society, Jewish nationalism, and then those that were also those who followed God's word, the good Jews, were, they, they longed for the kingdom of God. They looked forward for the kingdom of God. An example of this, in Mark 15, verse 43, look at, even the gospel of Mark talks about this. Joseph of Arimathea took a risk. This is after Jesus was crucified and uh, he was hanging on the cross at this moment. Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And look what it says there in parentheses. Joseph was an honored member of the high council, the Sanhedrin. And it says also, he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Joseph of Arimathea was looking forward to the day when God 
the king would come and establish his rule and reign once again. Another example of this, and this is actually one I was in our, in our Christmas devotional, Luke chapter 2, verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah, Jesus, to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. He was longing for the time when the kingdom would be established. Today, 2017, we still have Jews who are looking forward for the kingdom. They're waiting for for their Messiah to come to establish his reign and rule on earth, to deliver Israel. That, that's, that's what they're waiting for. In fact, there is this, this prayer that they pray to conclude their meetings together as they worship on the Sabbath. It's called the Kaddish. And they pray this, or usually the rabbi gets up and he says this, and this is actually even very prominent in Jewish funerals. It says, exalted and hallowed be his great name and the world which he created according to his will. May he let his kingdom rule in your lifetime and in your days and in the lifetime of the whole house of Israel, speedily and soon, amen. This is the prayer that they pray. They're looking for a kingdom. They're looking, they're, they're awaiting the kingdom. They preached about the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says this. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was this. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Why? For the kingdom of heaven has come near John, or Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, and also in verse 23, it says, from then on, this is after Jesus' baptism, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In verse 23, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. So what is this kingdom? that the Jews understand, that is hard for the Americans to understand, that maybe you here as a new believer or, or a, a mature believer and you scratch your head and you say, what is meant by kingdom? Well, kingdom, the kingdom is God reestablishing his original rule and reign upon the earth. Leave that up there for a second. The kingdom is God coming to reestablish his original rule upon the earth. In the garden, it said that God walked with Adam like a friend in the coolness of the day. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? We hear that all the time. Wherever God's presence is, presence is, there is freedom. So as he was walking in the garden, literally, wherever he was at, the kingdom was there. It's kind of like in our society today when, when somebody from royalty or somebody from another nation comes to, that, to, to the embassy, where they are is an a, a understanding of their kingdom right there. Their, your highness, it literally means like this is your reign in this area. Wherever you go, you are bringing your kingdom. Wherever God's presence is, his kingdom is there. So when he walked with Adam as a friend walks with another, his kingdom was on earth. He created earth to be a part of his kingdom. Literally, it was heaven on earth. Some people think that God created earth and just took a step back and he just ruled from heaven and he came to his, you know, his, 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 his second house like somewhere in, in the Hamptons and that's where he just hung out. No, his kingdom was here. 
This is like everything that he created was, uh, was supposed to be, or it was his kingdom. Everything in its original created order was his kingdom. But when we sinned, we said, God, we don't want you to reign here anymore. We want our own kingdom. How do we know that? Because remember what the serpent, or how the serpent lured her to sin, lured us to sin, humanity? God just doesn't want you to know the truth. Literally placating upon her selfish desires God doesn't want you to be equal with him. He doesn't want you to have a kingdom. So go ahead and take a bite of this fruit and you'll see what God doesn't want you to know. Well, there's a reason why God didn't want them to know because the kingdom that God established is better than anything you and I could ever muster up. So they took a bite and God said, okay, I'll go go to heaven because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I will go to heaven And I will keep my kingdom there and I will give you the earth momentarily for some time to establish your kingdom. And what happened? Within the first thousand years, biblical years, the first thousand years, we are destroying things. Uh, Literally, the Bible says that so much sin reigned upon the earth, unspeakable acts. And when God came back and saw the kingdom that we established, he looks around and he's like, this is horrific. Some people look at God and, and see him wiping out uh, the, during the flood time and they're like, God, you're horrible. No, the things we were doing was horrible. God was like saying, okay, reset. This is wrong. You're hurting yourselves. Like it, it's more merciful for me to be like, no, just stop. Stop it. Some people can't, uh, we, sometimes we can't resolve how God can do that, but, but you don't understand what we were doing to each other. You think it's bad now? No way, horrific. Sodom and Gomorrah, horrific things were happening. Horrible things. So God, Jesus is preaching this prayer and he's saying, listen, pray that God would establish his kingdom on this earth. So we know that the Jews longed for the kingdom, but here's the good news. Jesus Christ is the initiator of that kingdom. When he stepped from heaven, God's kingdom, and came to earth, he came bearing a flag, which was the cross, and said, I am coming to reestablish the created order of my kingdom here on earth. My life that I'm giving up is the war that I'm fighting to firmly root my kingdom in your life. And Jesus is, as he's dying on the cross, is literally establishing his kingdom on the earth, in our hearts, in us. That's why when, when Jesus is talking to the, the, the Pharisees and he says, in, in those days, somebody will say, oh, lo, there is the kingdom, or here, the kingdom is, is near. And, and Jesus says, no, the kingdom is in your myths, or some translations say the kingdom is within you. He's not talking about inside your heart, your literal heart. He's saying, I am that kingdom. Where I am is where the kingdom is. Where I am is where, where my rule is. You want to see a glimpse of the kingdom? You're healed in my name. Do you want to see a glimpse of the kingdom? Walk, because there's no sickness in my kingdom. Oh, you've been bleeding for years upon years upon years? Be whole in the name of me, Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. He is establishing his kingdom, giving people insight and glances and glimpses to the kingdom. There's no death in my kingdom. Lazarus, get out of that tomb. 
I am that kingdom. So he's coming and establishing his kingdom. And people are watching and like, this is it. This is what we've been longing for. Friends, Jesus came, established his kingdom, and he went back to earth, to heaven, and he is going to come back and completely establish his kingdom upon the whole earth, the new heavens and the new earth, and make it look like the created order it was meant to be. So when you look at the sin and the and, and societal woes of our day-to-day and you're just brokenhearted and, and, you're, and you're seeing the division and you're seeing the, the, the violence, it's okay to get angry. It's not okay to avoid those things. We should be moved to action and then just anticipate, God, may your kingdom come. Bring it here, Lord. We desperately need it. We desperately need it. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth and he says this regarding the kingdom and this kind of in-between stage that we're in now. He says, now we see things imperfectly. Everybody say that word, imperfectly. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. Now, today, when we think of a mirror, we think of like the ones that you look at, at those like uh, makeup stores and you're like, oh my gosh, my pores are horrible, right? Um, I've never felt that way because I'm a guy. But some of you like, oh goodness, I don't want to look at that. This, is, this mirror shows too many imperfections, but the mirror back then, they didn't have the kind of polishes that, that we do today. So when they look at a mirror, it was a haze. Like they really didn't see a perfect image, a, a perfect reflection of what they looked like. So, so Paul is literally saying, what, what, the way you understand reality right now is like looking into a mirror. It's hazy. But then, what does then mean? It's a time and place then literally means in the context of this passage when Jesus comes again and establishes his reign upon the earth then we will see everything with perfect clarity do you ever put on glasses after not wearing glasses for a long time I remember, I remember the first time I put on contacts and I put, I put contacts in my eyes and I looked around and I'm like man Walmart's ugly so much clarity. Usually you're just like, oh, it's beautiful outside. But I was like, oh my goodness, look at all these stains. Now I get that, the meme, the Walmart of, or the people of Walmart, I get it now. It's funny. I get it, right? So, so <laughs> you're like, what's that? Don't worry about it, okay? Um, it, it brings clarity. The kingdom of God is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to illuminate the way things are meant to be. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, when Jesus establishes his reign, I will know everything completely. No questions asked. Nothing. God is going to fulfill everything. We will know each other. Like, I love my wife, and I, and I know my wife, but I don't know her completely. I'd love to, but that's not going to happen until Jesus establishes his reign. Just as God now knows me completely. How much does God know you? You ever asked that question? The Bible says that the, the very hairs on your head are numbered. He, know, he knows you intimately, so well, more than you know yourself. But one day, we will know God at that same caliber. And we will know each other at that same caliber. And there's going to be no sin and no sorrow and no darkness. And, and that's why we long for that day. But in this time that we are in right now, you know what it's called, what Jesus calls it? Hunger pains. I uh, know, sorry. Labor pains. I'm hungry. <laughs> Labor pains. <laughs> let's just, Pastor Lawrence, let's just scratch that out of the uh, podcast. And, and this too, what I just did. And this. 
and, and this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> labor pains. Anybody got a banana? I'm hungry. Labor pains. Why? Because right now, okay, can I say the name of our son? We, we, we got a name for our son. His name's going to be Desmond. Desmond Titus. Oh, goodness, he's so cute. So if you notice, Katie has a necklace on. She's got a letter A and a letter D. I bought it for her for Christmas because I was pretty sure we we're going to go with Desmond. And we are. So, so Desmond Titus, my son, who's not even here yet, and I love him and I can't wait. Daddy loves you. Right? I, I, I can't wait for him to come. He's here, like in the room. He's here right now. Everybody say hi. You guys are weird. I was just kidding. Right? He, Desmond Titus is right there. He's here, but not yet. You get what I'm saying? So, so, so the kingdom, when Jesus came and, and died upon the earth and was crucified for our sins, he established the kingdom, but now we wait for him to come again so that it can be here and now. You get what I'm saying? Desmond Titus is here, but not now. The kingdom of heaven is here, but not yet. There's, we're still waiting on. We see glimpses of the kingdom. When you gave your life to Jesus, you said... Sign me up. I want that citizenship to the kingdom. When, when you saw your marriage healed, that was a glimpse of the kingdom. When you see people who, who are crippled stand up and walk, you are seeing a glimpse of the kingdom. When you see somebody give forgiveness to somebody else, you are seeing a glimpse of the kingdom. When you see beauty and nature, and when you see life, birth, you are seeing a glimpse of the kingdom. So it's here. We have glimpses of it. We're looking at it as, as it's hazy and in a mirror. But one day, when Jesus returns, we will see the kingdom in its fullest and we pray that we pray that way we don't run away from the world's problems we don't say just beam me up Jesus in the rapture we say oh Lord may your kingdom come and we say and may your will be done what is meant by God's will well there is three aspects biblically speaking three aspects of God's will there's his ultimate will and I got a slide there's his ultimate will what is God's ultimate will it's in other words it's his sovereign will these are the things that we can't change because God is king right we can't pray oh Lord I pray that you don't come back someday he's going to look at you and say it's part of my ultimate will I'm coming back he's not going to slap you maybe his ultimate will, we can't change it. There's nothing I can do. I, I can't, it, it, it's foolishness of me to try to change what God has ultimately and sovereignly ordained. He is coming back whether I like it or not. It, some of the principles in our world, some of the laws, right? The law of gravity. There is nothing I can do to change the ultimate will, the sovereign will, the law of his creation. I can't pray, oh Lord, I pray, and this is why Gideon's prayer was so great. God, I pray that the sun doesn't rise today. But, but that's part of his ultimate will. I can't change it. Or I pray that the sun never comes back. No, it, it, just, it is what it is. It's his ultimate will. The second aspect. So we pray, God, may your ultimate will be done. We know it's going to happen regardless if we pray about it or not. But I pray, Jesus, that your ultimate will would be done, that you do return. I pray for that day. The second one is God's revealed will. This is also known as, as his moral law. Right? So in scripture, when he says, do not murder, you shouldn't hold a knife and say, oh, Lord, should I stab this person? Yes or no? Just tell me, God. What do I do? He's going to say, no, I revealed it already. In scripture, don't do that. 
So don't pray, oh God, oh Lord, do, 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 I, do I have this relationship out of wedlock? I mean, do, 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 do I sleep with this individual that's not my spouse? God's gonna say, no, that's against my revealed will. I've developed a marriage, this covenant that you make with another person to, to live life with them. There is a moral will, a revealed will. It, that doesn't change no matter what culture or society says. So we pray, Lord, may your will be done. And the last one is this, God's permissive will. This is the will that God enables us to alter through our prayers, right? So, so when I pray, Lord, if it's your will, can, can you heal this person? God, can you allow your, your kingdom to, to, to reflect? Lord, would you honor the, the, the majesty of your name by healing this person in the name of Jesus? That's his permissive will. And when the Lord does move, and I've seen it happen multiple times, when the Lord does heal somebody, that's the kingdom. That's his permissive will. We, we, are, we, we are privileged to be a part of that. Or for example, Lord, should I marry this person? Should, should, should I spend the rest of my life with this individual? Have you ever asked that question? Lord, Lord should, should I take this job? Lord, should, should I move my family across the country? God, God, should I, should I go forward in this? What is your will, Lord? I pray that your will would be done in my life, but what is your will? What is the direction you want to take me? Do you want the key to learn how to answer those kind of questions? Honor God by recognizing his sovereign will and follow his moral will. And then you will be that much closer to knowing his permissive will. Some of us don't care about God's sovereign will. Whatever he does, I don't care, Lord. Some of us don't care about his moral will, but then we're on our knees. God, what do I do next? Well, take care of step one and step two and step three will come that much easier. How do I know this? Romans 12, verses one and two. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Keep that up for a second. This portion in scripture is very formulaic. If you're a kind of person, and we all should be, God, what is the next step that you want me to take? Do you want me to take this job? Do you want me to marry this person? This area where your scriptures doesn't speak to it, but, but you are leaving it up to me to make this important decision. What, 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 is, what is your desire, God? What brings you the most glory? What, what should I do? Well, he tells us, Paul tells us here, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Say, Lord, all that I am is yours. I know that my body was bought at a price. Lord, I, I recognize that I am not my own, that you are, you are, that I exist for you, Lord, that my sole purpose is to bring you praise and glory. And that's a radical prayer to pray. It's super radical. But Paul says, if we want to know what his perfect will is, then, then we say that first, God, I'm all yours, everything that I am, all that I represent, everything that I do with think, everything that I say, it's yours, God. 
And then he says, take it a step further and don't conform to the pattern of this world. Lord, I know society views things this way. I know they say go this way, go that way. But Lord, I'm, I'm following what your, what your moral will is, what your revealed will is, what your word tells me. So that means we have to get in God's word. That means if this is the only time that you are reading the scriptures on a Sunday morning, then you're missing out on what God really has for you. Truly. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Literally, let your brain flip over by the renewing of your mind. God, I submit to your sovereign will. God, I submit to your moral will. I read your word and I see what it says and how you call me to lead my life. And then when I do that, I will be able to test and approve and walk through the process of seeing God's permissive will revealed in my life. That's what Jesus tells us to pray. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. And lastly, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The same principles that I see in heaven, the same things that I, that I look at and see in heaven, the, the fulfillment of your word, God, the healing of lives, this, the, the saving, the, the worship. God, everything that I see in heaven, God, may we see glimpses of it here on earth. We know Jesus is coming one day to completely and firmly establish your rule and reign upon the earth. But Lord, I pray that in this in-between stage, in, in these moments of, of waiting, right? In these moments of waiting, I pray, Jesus, that I may feel kicks of your kingdom. The same way I, I, I know my son's in there, I, I, can, I can put my palm on my wife's hand and, and just hope to see, feel Desmond kick my hand. I, we, that's how we pray. God, may we see glimpses of your kingdom as it is in earth. May it be in heaven. God, all this violence and all this division and all, these, all this segregation and all this fighting and all this calamity. God, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. That's my heart, God. May I see people get saved and have hope once again. May I, may I see people be delivered from addiction as it is on earth and as can it, may it be in heaven. We are literally praying, God, may all that I am, all of my being, may it reflect your kingdom. If you are a follower of Jesus and you have no hope, and you have no direction or no, no aspiration, then I would say you're not living for the kingdom. You just made a decision at an altar one day. If you have no hope, you're not living for a kingdom because the kingdom is full of hope. It gives us purpose. If you wake up each day feeling like you have nothing to do, nowhere to live for, if you're, if you're looking forward to the time when God gives you that, pro, or when you get that promotion, or when you finally get that, that record label, or that deal, or, or you get that publisher to, to, to publish your book, if you're hoping and waiting on that, you're not living for the kingdom. Because every single moment that we have here and now is God's opportunity for us to have purpose, kingdom purpose every interaction that I have. I mean, it, it just completely sheds light to everything that we do. Every interaction that I have with people, God, may your kingdom be there. Lord, every, every time I shake someone's hand or, or greet someone at a grocery store, everything that I say, everything that I post on, in, on, on social media, God, may, may your kingdom be represented here. Because listen, as citizens of the kingdom, you and I are called to be ambassadors of the kingdom. Everywhere we go, we're called to, to bring the kingdom with us. The words of Christ 
who he is, what he, how he died for us. That's our role, our responsibility. So be, when you pray, this model of prayer, it's perfectly summarized in this. Build a foundation. My Father, thank you, Lord, that you want to be in the intimate relationship with me in heaven. Lord, may I recognize that you are sovereign over all creation, over the heavens and the earth. You, the, the heavens are your throne. The earth is your footstool. And our Father in heaven, uh, your, hallowed be your name. God, may I recognize and remember that your name is holy. The second tier, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as in heaven.